Anything else I need to add to that? Okay. Skip, can you come up? Skip is highly involved at Celebrate. He's been in discipleship stuff. He serves. He's, he's a leader in our youth ministries. And he also has been a faithful person in prayer in the variety of ways we've offered it over the years. So I have asked him to come and pray. This is a new one. Boom. Yep, that's working. Um, so, but before you pray, Skip, mm -hmm. I just, what have you, why is prayer important to you? Or what have you learned is important about prayer? Well, a long time ago, um, my dad died before, before my 12th birthday and my mum had to raise six kids on her own. She was a very good Catholic and I'd seen the, how important prayer was right from the start um, because six kids, one parent, um, very overwhelming, but we were fortunate and um, very blessed and everybody turned out pretty good. Um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> you turned out great, Skip. Yeah. Um, but as time went on, I didn't go to church. I got more involved with racing, and racing became very much a center point of what I wanted to do. And I became more focused on that than I did on God or anything else. And years later, I started having kids, so I started going to church again. And I went to church, but I really didn't pay attention. I was here, and it was good, but I really wasn't right here. Um, then a few years later things at home got really bad and all of a sudden I realised that God is real and then I really started paying attention unfortunately in 2011 um, lots of things happened um, I got divorced I stopped racing I was at home with the kids and one day I was coming home from work and I was supposed to have soccer practice because I was helping coach but it was raining, so I didn't go to soccer practice, but I went to the doctors instead because I had a rotten cold. So the doctor gave me some medicine, no problem. She said, have you ever had any blood work done? I said, no. She said, probably should get some of that done. You're 41 years old, never had it done. So just for the heck of it, I went out on a Saturday morning, got a bit of blood work done. First thing Monday morning, she calls me. That's always a bad sign, I found out. Uh, she said, your sugars, cholesterol, all that sort of stuff's great, but your PSA is 19. I said, oh, that's good, what's that? She said, I'm making an appointment with the specialist up in Des Moines, you go see him. Well, the specialist calls back in about 10 minutes. <laughs> so he said, can you come up on Wednesday for, for an appointment? I said, sure. So the, the doctor asked, the specialist asked me all these questions, I said no to all of it. And then he examined me, which was awkward. And um, instantly his voice went from just talking purely normal to totally serious. And he had a student doctor there at the time and he said, feel this. And I knew, that's weird. So then the doctor starts telling me about all these different options. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Because I had no concept of what was going on. But so for about the next 15 minutes, he starts telling me this, 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 and this. So, wow. So it didn't really hit me until I got back to, back to my car to go to church, get back to work. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's like, God, I got three kids at home that need me. I stopped racing, so a big part of my income wasn't coming in like it used to. And I still need to get to work and uh, have some time off work to get this fixed up. Um, 
one of my other friends at work here need time off or something similar and the, the bosses weren't very nice. And I prayed really intently for about five minutes. And lo and behold, everything kind of worked out. The, pe- the boss people at work, they were super, super nice. They um, got me involved with the Cancer Treatment Centers of America with the f- phenomenal doctors that looked after me, done in surgery and were great to me. Um, I had a, spon- had a benefit thing where all kinds of people looked gave me some money for my surgeries and all the rehabilitation and everything, so I was blessed there. My kids were great. Um, Fortunately, I had a bit of time off work, so I got to spend the summer at home, so they were looked after. Um, So all kinds of things happened that I was very, very unaware of, and I'm so, so grateful, and that's why that simple prayer that one day in the car made such a difference. And I know it came from right here. And every little thing that I prayed that day, God heard every single one of it. Mm-hmm. One other little story about when Andrew was a baby, it was a, I was still racing out here. We weren't going particularly good this year, but we put a new car together because it was an outlaw race. And the first night went terrible. Qualified bad, heat race bad, B main bad. So we went back, worked on a car, and the next day, and just like normal, we, there's a house payment due, health insurance due, and we've got no money. And first night I made no money, so I was like, this is bad. So go back the next night, qualify bad, heat race bad, start 13th in the B main. Lo and behold, I come second. And it's like, wow, pretty good. So he started 24th in the main, end up coming third through all kinds of things that happened. The thing that I really didn't realise at the time, I just thought it was because we ran good. But I had Laurie at home with the three kids, praying like crazy all night long because of our financial needs needed to be met. And things worked out in such a way that they were. So all kinds of miracles have happened in my life. And that's just a couple of little ones that make me realise how important prayer is. And as... God told Moses he'd give him Ten Commandments, and Jesus made that even simpler. Always put God first and treat your neighbours as yourself. So I'm very, very grateful for Andrew and everybody here at the church that I, like, that I really like coming to. And prayer is very important. Just like Andrew talks about the VA over there, there's lots of hard work that went into it, but there's lots of prayer that went in behind the scenes to make the wisdom for the people, to make it all happen just right. So I'm very grateful. That's great. Can you pray for us now? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Can you, can you pray for us now? Dear God, thank you for everybody here in this church. I'm grateful for everything that, that they do because I just don't look after people here that are sitting here today, but also the people, not just around the fringes of Knoxville, but also around the, around the community. I'm grateful for everything that everybody does and how involved they all are. The people that I never thought would be involved are. I'm very grateful for the people that started this church because they made a great foundation for everything else that comes through it. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for Andrew and his family and the leadership that everybody does here. And you know, I may give thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Skip. So we are going to start a new sermon series today, 
and it's called people of presence. We want to be people who carry the presence of God. And so throughout this fall, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on two things that will reinforce uh, our, our emphasis on prayer, intimacy and intercession. Intimacy is just drawing close to God, and we're going to talk more about that today, and intercession is praying for others. And we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on those every other week. So today we will talk about intimacy and drawing close to God, and then next week we'll talk about praying for others, and we'll keep that going. And one of the things that we're going to try during this series is I'm going to teach probably every week, all 10 weeks, um, but I'm going to te- my teaching is going to be shorter than normal. You can pray. If, you, if you're motivated to pray, pray that my teaching is shorter than normal because what we want to do is we want to incorporate more voices. We just had Skip up here. I'm going to invite Camille, uh, my wife, and the, the uh, prayer ministry director here at Celebrate Church. Um, we want to hear more voices. We're going to do it in different ways on different Sundays, um, but more people involved in how are we praying. So Camille, you can go ahead and, and come up. And I've asked Camille to share with us about intimacy, uh, what it, how intimacy in prayer, intimacy with God. And so she's going to do that now. Feedback. Is that all right? Can we get that? Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Um, yeah, like you said, if we haven't met yet, my name's Camille. I'm part-time staff here at Celebrate Church, running, leading the prayer ministry. I'm full-time wife to Andrew and our five kids. I'm mom to our five kids. Um, and I'm just going to unpack intimacy. What does that mean um, for us a little bit today? And I think if we're honest, even just the word intimacy can make us feel a little bit uneasy or uncomfortable. Um, So if you don't know me at all, um, or if you know me at all, you'd know that I'm an introvert by nature and that being up front um, of all of you like this, it makes me very uncomfortable. So it's um, awkward. It feels vulnerable. It feels very unfamiliar. And as I was thinking about that, I'm like, it's not that unlike um, getting to know someone intimately. So here we go. (laughs) Except that there's like hundreds of you out there all at once. (laughs) Um, So since Andrew assigned me to this week and to the topic of intimacy of all things for my first time sharing with you from the front on a Sunday morning, um, I thought I'd start by turning the tables just a little bit. So you're used to him up here and you hear stories about me or about our family um, from his perspective. So I thought I'd take the opportunity to share a little bit about him from mine. (laughs) So here we go. So everyone's familiar with David Letterman's top 10 lists, right? Andrew and I used to catch those every once in a while in the early years of our marriage, um, humorous. But I've made one up on, um, since we're on the topic of intimacy. Um, Jill, if you could pull up the slide. I thought we would look at the top 10 intimate details about Andrew. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Number 10. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, really. I, I shared my talk with him yesterday, and he didn't know I was going to do that. But anyway, here we go. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But you're all curious, aren't you? So you want to know now. Um, yeah, and some of you are maybe a little bit uncomfortable, including Andrew. I was about to do that. So I think it's our human nature that we want to know things. We want to know things about people. Um, our news feeds are full of stories about famous people um, that, we, that we don't know, we will never be in personal relationship with, and it really costs us nothing to know these details about them, but our news feeds are, are filled with it, and then also there's industries just devoted to dishing out information on people that we will never be in relationship with. 
so we're curious, and it doesn't cost us anything. But if I did share this information with you about Andrew, I wonder, would you be experiencing intimacy with him with that knowledge? I think not. Um, it's taken me years to develop my relationship with him, and for, him, for me to simply share that information wouldn't establish your intimacy with him. It just means that, that all that information become public knowledge. So. But knowledge alone doesn't constitute intimacy, does it? So what is intimacy exactly? I looked up the definition, and here's what I found. Intimacy is a close familiarity or friendship. Intimacy is closeness between people and personal relationships. It's what builds over time as you connect with someone, grow to care about each other, and feel more and more comfortable during your time together. It refers to a level of closeness where you feel validated and safe. So intimacy is closeness in relationships. It builds over time. It takes a long time to really learn another's presence, doesn't it? It's taken me decades to learn the Lord's presence in my life, how he speaks to me or comforts me or leads me, and it's not always that mystical. For example, last week I was to host the Sunday morning service, and so I asked the Lord what his heart was for that morning and where, how I was to lead. Um, and I awoke that day with a, a phrase in my mind that I was pretty sure was scripture, but I wasn't sure where. And so I did the very mystical thing of Googling it. <laughs> um, and it turns out it was from Psalm 146. And as I sat in the passage that morning, I knew that that's what his call for us into worship would be. And that psalm read, He is our help and our hope. He is the maker of heaven and earth and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the oppressed and feeds the hungry. He sets prisoners free and gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous and watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless and the widow. He reigns forever for all generations. And all of that is just information about God or just words, really, unless you've experienced him providing for you or upholding you or freeing you or giving you sight or even just loving you. It's your experiences or your history with God that establishes your intimacy with him. But that kind of knowledge doesn't come cheap or easy or even feel good at first, like the false intimacy that the world has to offer. It takes time to develop our history with him, and it costs us something. My yes to Andrew in love means that I have said a whole host of no's to other things, distractions and diversions. Loving him and cultivating an intimacy with him means denying myself, and he does the same for me. Love gives up itself for another. It's costly. It's impossible to love without sacrifice. Last week, I was listening to a talk from the archives of Elizabeth Elliot's ministry. I don't know if any of you are familiar with her, in which she told a story where a friend gave a definition for the measure of love. In that talk, she, her friend said, the measure of your love is the measure in which you are willing to be inconvenienced. So now her friend was talking about loving dogs, but as Ms. Elliott pointed out, that's really a good picture or a good measure for how we could love anybody. The measure of my love for my dogs is the measure that I'm willing to be inconvenienced by them, which on some days is a great measure of inconvenience. But the measure of our love for our children is certainly the measure of our willingness to be inconvenienced, and not just inconvenienced because they're not like our pets. Um, so it's true sacrifice. So for what are you willing to be inconvenienced? For whom are you willing to be inconvenienced? 
And around whom do you arrange your days? So not only is intimacy, intimacy costly, it's exclusive. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins who are waiting for, the bride, are waiting for their bridegroom. And if you don't know that passage, I can't get into all of it, but look it up. It's really good. Um, but the one point that I want to bring out, a lift um, from that today, is that no one can buy oil for another person. Each had to go and buy it for themselves. There were five who were prepared with the oil in their lamps and then a separate jar to hold to keep refilling their lamps so that they would be prepared. And then there were another five who only had enough oil to fill their lamps, and eventually that ran out and didn't allow them to see clearly or to recognize the bridegroom when he would come. They hadn't paid the price to have a store of oil in their jar to keep their lamps lit until he came. The oil in this story represents intimacy that comes with time and intentional and personal preparation. So intimacy is exclusive. It can't be done for you. Only you can develop your relationship with God. It has to be about you and him. And there's something to be gleaned on Sunday mornings when we're all gathered here in worship. When we're worshiping with the fellowship of believers, there's something we get as a group that we can't get on our own. And likewise, there's things that we only gain in the secret place with him. If I only knew Andrew from his times teaching up here from the front, I wouldn't know him any better than the rest of you. And we wouldn't have any children. <laughs> so there's fruit that comes from our time in the secret place and nowhere else. So you can't help me grow in intimacy with my husband. That requires me giving myself to him, time to spend time learning him and sacrificing for him and setting aside other things to know him. And this last one, um, intimacy is experience. It's not just knowledge or information. It's moments upon moments um, of seeking and experiencing his presence. Andrew and I have been working at knowing one another for over 25 years. And each year that we get to add becomes more valuable than the ones before. And the same is true of my years with Jesus. Intimacy is the experience of abiding or remaining in Jesus which leads us to the passage that Andrew is going to be teaching from today. And I'm going to end by reading our scripture for the morning. Out of John 15, verses 1 and 4 through 9. I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Amen. Thank you, Camille. Mm -hmm. So this passage, John 15, really 1 through 16, not just what Camille read, is, in my opinion, one of the greatest passages to go to if you're trying to figure out how do I do Christianity? What does it mean for me to live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? It's just really good. So it's good for all of life. And if we used all 16 verses, I think you can, and we, and we may actually do this, I think you can learn a lot about how to pray for others from this passage. But what I want to focus in on is how do you, 
What does this passage have to say about intimacy, about prayer, about drawing close to God? So I'm just going to go through these verses uh, a few more times. Verse, verse 4, real quickly. Remain in me as I also remain in you. This is Jesus talking. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is saying he's a vine. This would be very familiar to his audience. He's the vine. We are branches that, come, that can be coming out of the vine that are intended to bear fruit. And he's really clear in order for us to bear fruit, we have to be connected to him. We have to remain in him, and then we produce what we were created to do and be. But if we don't, then we won't. Then a branch can't bear fruit. So we go on to verse 5, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He basically says the exact same thing. So he just said this, and now he says it in a slightly different way, but he's saying the same thing. Now, in the Bible, that's a device to say, this is important. This is important. If you want to bear fruit, if you want to be who God created you to be and what God wants to do through you, you have to remain in Jesus. If you don't, you won't bear fruit. Verse 6, it says, uh, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So now it's basically saying for a third time, if you do not remain in Jesus, it's not good. It's not just that you you aren't all that you could be. It's that your life gets, it's not good. I'll let the metaphor speak for itself. So now three times, if you don't remain in Jesus, that's, it's not good and you don't bear fruit. Verses 7 and 8, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this is the third time it talks about what happens if we do remain in him and he does remain in us. And now it's getting even more expansive. Then we bear much fruit. Then we're shown to be his disciples. Then we can ask whatever we wish. Then it's all to God's glory. It is such a contrast on whether or not we remain in Jesus or we don't remain in Jesus. It's huge. So it begs the question, what does it mean to remain in Jesus? How do we remain in Jesus? And I think what Camille just described is is part of the answer. Remaining and intimacy really are They're overlapping. It is getting close. It is being connected to Jesus. So it is something that comes in relationship with him that builds a closeness and builds it over time. And so it is costly. We have to not do other things to focus on our relationship with Jesus. It is exclusive. It's saying he is God, not all the other things that could be God. It is an experience. It's not just knowing about God. It's about actually having an an interaction with him. And so from this passage, I would say one of the definitions of remaining in Jesus, and I actually, I got this from Mike Bickle, so I'm going to read a quote of his in, in a moment, but one of the definitions is just talking with Jesus. If we want to know how to remain with Jesus, if we want to build a closeness over time in our relationship with Jesus, we listen to him and we talk to him. Here's the quote from from Mike Bickle that I want to read. The core task of remaining in Christ is talking to Jesus. I often exchange the phrase, this is Mike Bickle saying this, I often exchange the phrase, remain in me, for the phrase, talk to me. I use them interchangeably. He's saying, remaining in Jesus and talking and listening to Jesus, that's, that's pretty much the same thing. 
The Christian life is an ongoing dialogue with a real person. In fact, the essence of Christianity is living in an ongoing dialogue with the most glorious man who ever walked the earth. He is fully God and fully man, and we get to talk to him. Jesus has much to say to us, but he allows us to set the pace of the conversation. If we start, he will continue the conversation as long as we do. When we stop, he stops and waits until we begin again. He responds in the degree to which we communicate with him. Remaining in Jesus, which is huge, because if you remain in him, you will bear fruit. If he remains in you, you will bear much fruit. If his words remain in you, you can ask whatever you want. He's going to grant it. It's all to God's glory if we will do that. And what Mike Bickle says and what I think this passage says and the Bible says is one of the biggest factors of remaining with him is just communicating with him, talking to him and listening to him. Now, the other thing that I want to emphasize is that thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, thinking about God's love is a way to remain in him thinking about him. Dallas Willard got me onto this, that when you just, when you think about God, you, you make a connection to him. And we spend so much of our time not thinking about him, but just thinking about him sparks our connection. So Frank Lawback was a missionary in the Philippines, um, early 1900s, maybe late 1800s too, I can't remember the exact time frame, but he, he had this thing where he tried an experiment where he was going to try to think about God for one second out of every minute. At least one second, he was going to have his mind go to like, what would God want to do? Or thank you, God, or help me, God, or something. But at least one time, one time every minute. And he kept a journal to keep track, and he wasn't very good at it when he first started. But four weeks in, he said this. This was his response of what's happening. I feel simply carried along each hour, doing my part in a plan which is far beyond myself. This sense of cooperation with God in the little things is what so astonishes me, for I never have felt it this way before. I need something and turn around to find it waiting for me. I must work to be sure, but there is God working along with me. So this, this man was quite remarkable. He started a literacy, literacy program that went to 60 billion people in all kinds of countries, he, mostly to, to the most obscure places. He, he was very productive. He wrote books. He spoke all over the world by the end of his life. But that productivity started when he was in the middle of nowhere, and he just started thinking about God, which turned into a conversation about God all the time. Mike Bickle says, he hears a lot of people say, well, I just pray on the run. He says, my experience, and this would match my, my experience too, is that people who only pray on the run, it doesn't happen very well or very consistently. But when there are set-aside times to have a conversation, to listen to him, to let his words remain in, in us, or to pray to him, to talk to him, when we have that time, then we're better at praying on the run. Then we're better at remembering him and thinking about him throughout the course of our, our day. And so that is part of prayer builders, is finding a time. How do we remain in Jesus? Well, we set aside times, and of course it doesn't have to happen in this building. And I should have mentioned before, you're welcome to use the building without being a prayer builder. You don't have to commit to get to do any of those things. But I find that a set-aside time and a set-aside space helps me to pray more in other ways, at other times, to just be 
connected to God as I'm living and working and with people. Because I'm remaining in him, I'm still aware of him, I'm still connecting to him, and I've done it when I've talked to him and listened to him at other times. So I said thinking about God, but I also said thinking about God's love, and that leads to the last verse that Camille read. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Again, I'm going to go uh, with, with Mike Bickle. This is Mike. I've heard Mike Bickle speak in person quite a few times in life, and this, he says, is his number one verse in the entire Bible. Because he says, you've got to think about this. God the Father, Almighty God, God creator of heaven and earth, as much as he loves Jesus, with the same intensity that he loves Jesus, he loves you. With the same amount. That's what this passage says. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in that immensity of love. How much did God love Jesus? In what ways did God love Jesus? This is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Do you think that God's up there looking down at Jesus, his son, on the earth going like, well, I'm going to love him because I'm supposed to love him because I'm God. Or is it like, wow, look at him. Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's saying. Look at him. I love him with an enthusiasm. I am drawn to him. I want to be with him. That is how the Father loves Jesus. And Jesus says, that's how I love you. Think about that. Think about how much he loves you. That he wants to be with you. That he'd do anything for you. With the same intensity as God loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. And he says, so stay in that. Stay connected in that. And our intimacy will grow with an awareness of that with an awareness that as much as God loves Jesus, he loves me. Well, I want to talk to He wants to talk to me. He actually wants to talk to me. I'm the one usually holding up the show. He wants to talk to you. Stay connected with you. He offers that. So the last way we're going to talk about remaining in Jesus is with communion. We're about to take communion. The dictionary definition, Camille had shared this with me, the dic dictionary definition of communion is that it is a, a sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. That's just communion itself. It is the exchange. So you see that communication, that talking with, that hearing with, that thinking about. And so our remaining in Jesus is communion with him. And when we take communion, we are remaining in him and allowing him to remain in us. The one who is outside of us, he says, I'm going to come inside. You can take me. I'm present. Somehow, mysteriously, I'm present in the bread and the cup. You can take that and put it inside of you and let it remain in you. And you can come to the table to remain in him. Remain in me. Let me remain in you. That's his phrase to us.